Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 302 for September 21st, 2020. Today's guest is animal advocate, influencer, and social media professional, and super cool guy, I discovered, John Oberg. And we'll be talking about how he uses social media for good, which is like, come on. Um, did you watch Did you watch it? The Social Dilemma? It's on Netflix. I think you probably watched it. Wow. Anyway, we have good news about social media today. And I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 15 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com. Or you could just search for it in your favorite podcast directory. Or wait, I just said a thing that I always say anyway. What? If you like to know more about me, stop by my website at michaelheron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron, And you can email me at mikeypod at gmail.com. I have been on a roll with this podcast. I don't know if you're as proud of me as I'm proud of me. But this is the ninth week in a row that I've stuck with with posting every week. It's a small thing and it's like a thing that I'm sort of should have been doing already, <laughs> but I'm very excited to be like, okay, I got some momentum. I have interviews in the can ready to go. I have other interviews coming up. I have things planned for like a couple months in advance. So the podcast is like happening. I'm super excited. Podcasts, by the way, are in Amazon Music. They just added them this week. I already submitted, so you could find Mikey Pod there. Um, and like literally every single podcast directory should have my podcast. If there's one that doesn't, let me know. I want to check in about one little thing that's slightly personal, but I think I've talked about this on the show before. I have ADHD. And Getting that diagnosis as an adult was like life changing because for the longest time I thought I was just lazy or dumb or just in a unable it it felt like a moral shortcoming rather than oh my brain is different I need to be treated for this so I I got started getting treated for it again maybe a year or so ago and then. My so my uh, prescription ran out, and I because I have ADHD, <laughs> I procrastinated seeing my doctor again. Well, I just saw him again yesterday, and got back on the medication. And I have to tell you, I, I, I I'm saying this because I'm excited to be like, oh yeah, there's a way to cope with this stuff, and it's not just that I'm disorganized and lazy and all these other things. I have like a different kind of brain. And even if you don't have ADHD, if you have some other thing going on, or if you just have a different way of doing things, I embrace you and I embrace your differentness and there's nothing wrong with you. You can do it. You might need to figure out a different way. You might have a different way of doing things and that's okay. Oh my God, it's just such a relief to suddenly be like, oh yeah, I don't have to like try to browbeat myself into achieving my goals there's help and there's it's not it's not a moral shortcoming it's a brain difference it's a it's a thing that with my body and my brain so anyway i just wanted to share that i feel really really like relieved today so there we are yay 
All right. I think that's enough check-in from me. Um, as always, I want to thank my subscribers on Patreon who power this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month to get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and my zines. And there are almost 50 bonus podcasts there now. And I do them almost every week. Um, almost every week that there's a main podcast. Um, and you'll have immediate access to all of that stuff when you subscribe. Um, as well as behind the scenes stuff, blah, blah, blah. This Wednesday, I'll be putting up an exclusive and super fun bonus interview with John Oberg, who is our guest this week. We did this whole rapid fire thing where we were asking each other questions and it was pretty great. So um, that'll be up on Patreon on Wednesday for subscribers. I got music from my pal, Kirsten Maryland. She has a new album coming out next month. Um, this is from the album it's a brand new single she's gonna be on the podcast again she's been on the podcast before if you saw my live shows at judson she was a frequent guest there and she will be again when we can do live performances uh kirsten come on this song is called legacy and after this we'll have our interview with john oberg oh my god you did to pass the time before you died tradition the things you do to mask the trauma you endured as a child culture the thing we think sets us apart that we're one in the same religion the thing that ties the blindfold tight so we can't feel the pain We can't stop now For the fear we feel Is just too real But we hope somehow That we will live on That we're too far gone To see it now Reality A thousand times beyond what you perceive Inside your mind Addiction The way you fight to mask the trauma You endured as a child Justice A system full of thieves who really think They uphold the name Contrition The way you get away with the harm You cause every day We can't stop now
Joining me now on the podcast is John Oberg. We, I introduced you already in the podcast, so so uh, I don't need to do that again. But you're an animal activist, a social media guru, if you'll allow me to use that word. And uh, you do some really amazing stuff. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Michael. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk to you and, and to speak to your listeners. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that we could talk about. Like, but the I was watching your um, a, a talk that you gave. It's the most recent thing you have on your YouTube channel. And I wasn't going to ask you this question, but now that I know that there's a cool story behind it, how did you get started as in animal advocacy? Like, the, like it's such a great story. I turned it off because I was like, I don't want to know anymore. I want him to tell me on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there are many things across the course of my life that led me to become the person I am today. So, yeah, so the story behind that is uh, my mom and I, I was raised by my mom, single mother. Uh, we were pretty poor. And so uh, we lived in this, uh, in Detroit, Michigan. And we, uh, so it was just her and I, and uh, she'd wake up every day and uh, go and clean houses or uh, she worked at a nearby hotel, like cleaning rooms. Um, and so we were pretty poor. And so it was sometimes kind of hard to make ends meet, but something that we, did uh, together to really kind of make ends meet was we would go to a local park it's called Metro Park in Michigan and at this Metro Park uh, there would be you know lots of little campsites there and people would often go on you know go to there during the weekend and they would you know drink their sodas their beers and they'd throw the cans in the trash can well in the state of Michigan and I believe this is still the only state uh, a ten, uh, you get 10 cents for returning a bottle to a store, uh, which is, uh, which makes these things kind of valuable. So what her and I would do is, uh, often in the mornings before I would go to school. Um, uh, and I think I was about 10 years old at this time. It was like the late nineties. Uh, she and I would go to these stores or go to these, uh, Metro parks, go in the really early morning. And we'd go collect trash, uh, cans out of the trash cans. And uh, it was a great bonding experience for us. And you know, I loved spending time with my mom. She was my best friend. Mm. And the mornings were so still, so quiet. But the one thing that was going on was there would often be deer. And there would be deer just kind of roaming around. They'd kind of look at us with an inquisitive look, uh, kind of curious about what we were, what we were doing there. We loved animals, and so we would look at, you know, we'd watch them. We kind of gave them each names. We created mm. this, we had this, we shared this bond together, and it was really, really special. And we did this for, for a long, long time. And then one day, we got this horrifying news that the local Department of Natural Resources has decided that at this metro park that we would go to all the time and see these deer they were now going to conduct a cull. And mm. a cull is a fancy word for a killing. They were going to go in there and kill a large portion of these deer. And it broke our hearts. And it really, really, you know, sent shockwaves through, through us as a unit. And for me, I was a, I guess, a 10-year-old kid. I, I was, you know, saddened by this, but I didn't feel powerful. I felt very powerless. Uh, my, but my mom, she did not rest on her laurels. What she did was she uh, encouraged me and her 
to go and protest and to do what we can to speak up for these deer. And so uh, day in and day out, what we did was we would go to the entrance of this park, which double doesn't exit, and we would stand there with signs, just the two of us, protesting these deer hunts. And we did this so often that we actually got local news coverage. I've got these old VHS tapes with us on the local news, uh, really grainy footage, but it's uh, her and I standing there with these signs that, that we had made. Um, I think one said, being cruel isn't cool. Um, and another one said, you know, save the deer. And uh, we even went and spoke at like the local meetings, the Department of Natural Resource meetings. And, uh, and as like a little 10-year-old kid, I, I got up there and I spoke and I was so shy and, and so, so, so painfully shy. But I did it, and pretty much all I could muster the courage to say was, please don't hurt the deer. Uh, and unfortunately, our cries, they kind of fell on deaf ears. And uh, what happened was that the call continued, and uh, we were certainly heartbroken about it. Uh, but one thing that we, you know, for years and years, uh, until her passing, we really talked about all the time, and we really love that we did was not just the activism that we did for these deer. Um, but we, one time, uh, she and I, we kind of snuck into the park a little bit late and these hunts were going on after the park closed. And so we stuck around and we howled. And so we howled and we howled. And the reason we did this was that, it tells the deer that danger is on the way. Uh, and sure enough, we found out the next day that uh, a far, far fewer amount of deer were killed that day. And, and so, we, so we really, really cherished that moment together. And what this whole experience taught me was that, you know, when there's an injustice going on in the world, you don't just sit back and watch it happen. You speak up out against it. You, you do what you can. And sometimes you'll be successful. Sometimes you won't be successful. And, but the point is we each have a dent that we can make to reduce suffering. We can, there's a lot of suffering going on in the world, but we each can make a little bit of a dent in that suffering. On the contrary, we can also contribute to suffering. So each one of us really has to ask, what do we want to do with that huge amount of suffering in the world? And my mom taught me that what we can do is we can work to make as much of a dent as we can. Mm. That, that story is so good. <laughs> but it's like it, the thing that is especially powerful about that story to me and uh, is your choice to, you know, you could say like your, your speaking out at first wasn't successful, right? It, like the call still happened. But you and your mom and you've chosen to still move forward and use your voice anyway, which I think is super valuable. Like I, I can sometimes be a pessimistic person. You know, w when I first started doing advocacy, it was really for a death penalty case that I was really, it was when I lived in Texas and um, I was really moved by this story. And I had this experience of like, Oh, most I realized the thing it taught me was like, most people don't want to hear it. <laughs> like they don't want to like, but there are people that do, you know, but it was so disappointing to me 
And it was a similar thing where I was speaking at, it was right when I started doing this podcast. So I was podcasting about it and, you know, like really trying to spread the word. And people that were close to me were a little like, I felt like they were doing the thing that I think we get as vegans too, of like, okay, thanks for your cute little thing you do. Um, but it's it it takes a certain kind of strength to do it, to keep doing it anyway. Um, and that's what I really love about you telling that story. And the thing about, yeah, I, I totally agree, Michael. And the thing about advocacy is that it's a numbers game, right? So the more we speak out, the more of a difference it makes. And so as advocates, whatever our cause is, there are going to be lots of people who ignore us, who fight us, who spit in our faces. But those people don't matter. All that matters are those people that we are going to impact. And the animals or the humans or whatever the cause is, the environment that we're going to impact positively, that's all that matters. And by getting out there and speaking as much as you can within reason, we each can really do a large amount of good to create a better world. Mm. So you, I didn't know this about you either. I, I have known of you on just online because of your advocacy. Um, but I didn't know that you lived in your car for a period of time and that you, your, your, your life for how long has been you know, dedicated to animal advocacy? I get that's the first part of the question. And then I want to hear about living in the car and well, let's leave it at that. <laughs> Okay, sure. What, what if I list off 15 questions? Like, okay, go. <laughs> we can play 15 questions. That's fine with me, Michael. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what happened was, uh, so I got, so the story I told about the deer was kind of my first foray into activism, uh, animal activism. And that really was one of the foundational pieces that led me to become the advocate I am today. Um, but it wasn't for, for many years up until that point that I actually decided to do the single biggest thing that could I could make an impact on animals with, and that was choosing to not eat animals. And for anybody out there who's interested in reducing suffering um, into helping animals, the absolutely best thing that we could do is to choose to not eat animals um, or eat fewer of them, because on average, we're each eating dozens of animals every single year. So uh, it took me until my early 20s to adopt a, uh, a vegetarian and eventually a vegan diet. And so I became a vegan, um, and I, and this was in late 2009 and I became a vegan and I thought, you know what, this is really cool that I'm vegan. But if you think about it, I just went from causing some suffering to not causing suffering, but there's still a lot of suffering going on out there, right? There's still a lot of cruelty going on behind the closed doors of these factory farms and slaughterhouses. So I got to speak up for those animals and to get them to not live these lives of misery. And so I started doing advocacy, similar to you, Michael. And uh, advocate, I realized how important advocacy was, was that I could take that good that I've done by you know not hurting dozens of animals a year by what I'm choosing to eat. And if I can inspire other people to not do this as well, that's exponentially increasing the amount of animals I can, I can save. I can go from saving hundreds of year animals in a lifetime to thousands or even millions. Uh, and that's because of the scale of the problem, of course. But it gives us a huge opportunity. And so I started doing advocacy locally in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where I was living and going to college at the time. And then so I did this like in my, in my free time on the weekends. 
on some weekdays and I would do a variety of kinds of animal activism. Um, some your viewers may be familiar with like standing with signs, protesting, um, doing, you know, showing people videos, uh, handing out leaflets, giving away free vegan food, lots of different things. What really spoke to me the most was leafletting. So handing out pamphlets to people that talk about how animals are being treated and encouraging them to eat fewer animals and to eat vegan food instead. And so, uh, I really enjoyed that because I found that I could, you know, reach hundreds or even thousands of people in just a few hours of my time. And those were lots of people who otherwise wouldn't be thinking about animal issues that day. Uh, and you know, most people, most Americans, most people around the world, they don't think much about the animals that they're eating. They might order animals every single day off a menu or off of a grocery store shelf, but very rarely are we actually thinking, okay, wow, this is an animal who probably lived a pretty awful life and, you know, in some farm in a distance, you know, way far off, many, many miles away. Um, we very rarely think about that. And so that's why I really love this work. And so while I was going to college, I did this on a volunteer basis. And then what happened was I got a job with Vegan Outreach. So Vegan Outreach is a nonprofit organization. At the time, they focused ex almost exclusively on leafletting. So I would uh, travel. So they basically, basically hired me to travel around North America and hand out pamphlets, going from college to college to college. And as you probably know, you know, there are many, many small college, small and mid-sized colleges dotted around every state around the country. So I'd go on these big, massive tours and essentially live out of my car. I would usually stay with people through couch surfing or some other means, um, but sometimes not. Uh, but the important thing was that I got from school to school to raise awareness, to reach as many people as possible. And I found that to be a really, really good use of my time. And then at, uh, there came a point when you realized your work could be just as valuable, if not more, by focus, focusing on social media? Yeah, Michael, I'm glad you asked uh, because I, every, every opportunity I have to talk about my mom, I will take. So while I was on a tour for Vegan Outreach, um, I, you know, I basically snaked my way around uh, the United States and Canada. And the end of uh, the spring semester, uh, obviously I'm doing this when colleges are in session, and so the end of the spring semester, I was finishing it up in Michigan because I wanted to spend some time with my mom, be able to use her house as a base of operations. And so I was staying with my mom, with my mom for a few weeks at the end of my tour, and she wasn't feeling well one night. And so what we did was I took her to the emergency room. She didn't want to go, but I insisted. And we went, she had some x-rays, we came back, and by the time we got back to the house in the morning, uh, they had called and left a message and told us that she had some serious issues that she, we needed to talk to them about. And it turned out that she had stage four small cell lung cancer. And it was absolutely devastating. Um, my mom was my best friend and uh, meant so much to me to have her uh, as part of my life, part, you know, on this advocacy journey, journey to help animals together. And, uh, and so I was absolutely devastating. I was expected this, you know, I was expecting this to be close to my mom until my 60s or 70s or 80s. Um, and this was a death sentence. And so you know, I remember when 
you know, when I was a little kid, she asked me uh, where I wanted to live and, uh, you know, where I wanted to live one day or what I wanted to do. And I said, all I want to do is get a house right next to yours, mom. And, uh, uh, and so, so I was very close to my mom and she meant so much to me. So we got this horrible, devastating news. Um, but she was such a trooper and stayed so, um, emotionally tough through it. And I think that she really did that for me, um, because she knew you know how devastated I was during this whole, uh, this whole situation. And so it, amidst this, um, sadness, uh, I basically, took a hiatus from vegan outreach. Well, not out of sadness necessarily, but because I just couldn't travel either. So I certainly couldn't you know, go travel around North America and hand out leaflets. So uh, I basically took a hiatus. And then while I was taking care of my mom, um, I was given the opportunity by vegan outreach to take over the social media mm. for the organization. And this is obviously something I could do from my computer, from home, and it didn't require traveling. And I kind of reluctantly said yes. Uh, it was my, my good friend and, and at the time, uh, my mentor, John Camp. Um, he said, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. You have a really good personal social media presence. I think you'd be really good at taking this over. And I kind of reluctantly said yes. And what I ended up doing was quickly, quickly realizing that in just a day's worth of social media advocacy, I could reach as many people as I did in decades of handing out leaflets on college campuses. And so I realized, wow, I can make such a strong, strong impact doing this work. And it was really perfect because I was able to do this work while working from home and still taking care of my mom. And that certainly meant a great deal to me. And they had given her only six to nine months to live, but she lived for another two and a half years. Oh, and, wow. uh, yeah. And so we shared lots of, lots of great moments together. And, uh, and I was you know, by her bedside pretty much the whole time, often on my computer doing vegan outreach, social media work. And, uh, and, you know, I would often run ideas by her and uh, show her how successful posts were doing and that sort of thing. And so that's what led me to running the social media for vegan outreach and then eventually doing what I'm doing now, um, which I think is by far the best way that I can impact animals and re- reach millions and millions of people every year. That story is so it's powerful to me. Like my I lost my mom too to also to lung cancer and also oh, spent like yeah. Um, but I, I love find like these types of connections because my mom yeah. I was a little scared to like believe in myself as much as she did when she was alive, but like losing her like inspired me to move forward in a lot of different ways. Um, but I love that kind of thing that we have in common, you know, this, like these, these friend, friend moms who we also lost, which is, you know, devastating. We learn a lot. We learn a lot and it really shapes our future. And I think that you and I are both doing, uh, important work, um, to create a kinder world. And I think that, you know, our moms are big reasons for that. So, so yeah. cheers to our moms and cheers to all the moms out there of the listeners that are, are listening to this right now. Did you see, you may not have seen this movie, but it, it kind of like triggered me to think differently about um, social media. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix right now. It's like... It, yeah, I've seen I've seen clips. I haven't seen the whole film. Yeah. it it. So I love social media. Like, I think it's great. 
And then there are also problems with it. And there are problems with, I think, the way humans use it. Um, and, and it's, uh, I guess I'm trying to formulate this question. Like it's right now, like there, it's a very divisive force, but it's also a tool that you're using to bring people together. Um, discuss, like, I don't know what my question is with yeah. that. Does that like trigger yeah. anything for you? Yeah, absolutely. So social media has a lot of pros and a lot of cons. Uh, there are certainly a lot of downsides to social media. It can be very divisive. It can really put us in silos uh, where we just only hear people who think and talk like us, uh, which is problematic for a number of reasons. Um, but it can also be this great connector. And I think what the beauty of social media is, is that it's the democratization of information. And we can find communities that we are really interested in, but also be exposed to ideas from communities who we otherwise would never hear from. And over the last seven years, I've really focused on getting the message of animal advocacy out there through social media. And as a result, content that I've posted has been, have been seen hundreds of millions of times. Um, and this is content that people normally would not be seeing, right? Like how often, you know, like if you, if we lived 25 years ago and social media wasn't a thing, you wouldn't be getting exposed to these new ideas necessarily. You'd be de dependent on print media, TV media, maybe radio, but it's going to be a lot harder to find information. So social media really allows us this huge opportunity to reach people in a way that we've never reached before. And so for all of the, the downsides, uh, the potential divisiveness, uh, the potential of putting us into silos and having us just be connected with people who are already thinking like us and then you're in this bubble um for all the potential downs downfalls i think that social media is absolutely going to change the world for better and that's because people are generally good and i know that there are many pessimists out there um and misanthropists and you know i think that every one of us activists have a little bit of that blood running through us um, which is fine. I mean, I'm certainly not some eternal optimist, um, mm -hmm. but I think in general, people don't want to cause unnecessary suffering. And if we can get our eyes in front of as many people as possible, what we can do is we can work to really reduce suffering. And so the opportunity, the potential that social media provides us, I think is like something we've never seen before. And I think it's absolutely a really, really big net positive. I think that it's doing far more good than it is doing bad. I've been having a hard time with everything lately. I mean, I think a lot of us have because we're in a global pandemic. So that that's kind of <laughs> bumming a lot of people out. But one of the things that I really think about and this and and I've, there's a relationship here with I'm a musician. I never, I didn't start releasing music until after people were already streaming, you know, so I don't really have this experience of feeling frustrated or angry that people aren't wanting to buy a CD from me because I didn't make music that was on CDs anyway. But, but I think the thing that people miss out on, and I think it's something that you're leaning on too, is before people were streaming music or before there was social media, no one would have even known I had a CD. Like I, cause I wouldn't have been able to tell anyone <laughs> except for exactly. like the people I knew Im immediately. So there are these like really big gifts that we get with having access to social media and to 
millions of people. Like it's yeah. So I, I that that's something as I mentioned earlier. I I I'm working on not focusing on <laughs> the negative things, which I'm not as bad at as I think. I I think, but um, yeah, I think I just wanted to throw that out just in terms of like artists who are listening or, you know, I I think that even, I I mean, I like to talk to activist artists, but I think any kind of artist should really be thinking about this, building communities. And we all have a message, whether it's an activist message or a story you want to tell or something you think is very important that you're making art about, you could spread the word and use social media to your advantage to, to build a community around your work. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about social media is the sense of community. And so if anybody who's interested in creating community and strengthening community, social media is right there for you to utilize. So learn how to use it and use it because it's your best friend, especially in a global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this, this next section I think is going to, serve two purposes we should wrap it up soon but we're gonna do a a bonus conversation for my patrons but you're making great use of patreon too i'm a huge patreon fan um let's talk a little bit about that before we wrap up sure so i love patreon i think that patreon uh is a system that makes work sustainable for advocates for artists for so many people out there who's job or like passion otherwise wouldn't be able to create an income uh that would make their work sustainable for the long haul and so for the users out here who or the listeners out here who aren't super familiar with patreon uh, i guess the way i would describe it or define it is that it's a uh a payment system meets a social network and people can uh people who want to support the work of others and get more involved and get exclusive access to certain aspects of that person's work, they can sign up as patrons of a particular user, whether it's an artist, an activist, a musician, a podcast, that sort of thing. And uh, what they get in return is a series of benefits, uh, which are which are really cool. So for me, uh, I have a lot of patrons who some – uh, are really excited about the benefits that they receive, whether it's like a monthly webinar or PDFs that I create and I send them, um, this sort of thing, or they just are altruistic and want to, you know, they recognize the work that I'm doing is important and want to support that work. And so, uh, that's basically what Patreon is in a, in a minute or two definition. And I really love it because, uh, people can donate as little as for me, as little as $5 a month. And that adds up to income that makes this work possible because the work that I'm doing on social media, I think is really valuable and is really important to reducing animal suffering and to getting people to recognize that animals are important and that animals are worthy of our protection and that there's really bad things happening to them and we need to get them to stop. Uh, Mm. And so for those people out there who like supporting, um, causes that create a kinder world uh they can sign up with me um and they can also sign up with you michael Uh, obviously you have a patreon as well yeah i that this brings me to another question i just want to throw out because i know like there's a lot of pushback in activist communities in uh especially you probably saw recently with a member of our community who uh is a youtube 
sensation. Why I can't even think of his name. I wasn't going to mention him by name because I didn't want to like. But it's it's the guy J- James Aspie, who uh, did you see all this pushback against his? He had like a there was a GoFundMe that was going around to fund his wedding, and he started an OnlyFans. The my question is, there are a lot of activists who are like street activists and and i've been i've done that before like i've done a lot of different kinds of activism um but there was a serious pushback against like you should be a lot of people think well you should be doing it for the animals so you shouldn't be trying to get money for doing this advocacy um and there's a real like this sort of i, I don't know the word that i'm trying to use this this energy yeah. of you should be, you know, you should be poor, have a day job that and then working your ass off to try to find a way to do animal advocacy. Yeah. Well, let me tell I was going to say my thoughts, but actually this is time for you to tell me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So it's a it's a complicated answer. Um, and it's I don't know, it's something we can fully sum up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but in essence, and I'm not I'm not very familiar with the James Aspie situation, so I can't really speak to that. But what I will say is that uh, Advocacy is extremely important and that there is not many people out there who are full time. You know, there's very, very, very little money in the whole uh, advocacy spectrum across the United States to kind of create a kinder world for animals. Um, And so uh, there isn't a lot of great work being done. And so there needs to be more great work being done. Uh, all the time. And we live in a world where you need money. We need money to survive. Uh, and so without money, we can't do this work. And so if there are enough people who want to support advocates who they believe are doing good work, there's no problem with that. And what there is a problem with is the mindset that just because you don't work for a profit, that you can't make any income. That's a big problem in the nonprofit sector is that C- or executive directors of nonprofits make a small portion of what their counterparts make in the private sector. And what happens? Lots of, that's a very big systemic problem because all of the great or much of the great, great talent goes from the nonprofit sector into the for-profit sector. And there's a real brain drain going on within the nonprofit community because – if people can make the same money um, selling soda as they could selling the environment, then they're going to do it because it makes sense uh, for that person. And so it's a real problem, this mindset. Animal advocates and advocates in general uh, who are doing good, important work deserve to, uh, to have their work supported. And if you don't like that, then you don't have to support them. Um, but if you think that a particular advocate, um, no matter who they are, uh, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, is doing important work and you want that person to have work that's sustainable for the long haul, then sign up. And if you don't think that their service to the cause is particularly valuable or you can't afford it, then don't. That's okay. Yeah. I think that the, I, I, I had a feeling we would agree on that. That's what that would have been my <laughs> thoughts I would share too. I think it's important too as activists and artists to um not fall into that 
that mindset also of like you're supposed to be poor because you're doing this thing. Like you shouldn't like if you make money, if you make a living doing this thing, then somehow it cheapens it and you're no longer like a valid artist, activist, whatever thing. So yeah, like in all of those ways, I think it's really important for us to lift ourselves up and the community and this whole idea of working for others and not make it be like, it doesn't have to also be a sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you, Michael. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So we should wrap up this part of our conversation. Where can people go to find you online? Sure. They can find me. Uh, my social media handles are John Oberg at John Oberg. So that's J O H N O B E R G. That's on Twitter and Instagram. My public Facebook page is John Oberg official. So facebook.com slash John Oberg official. And your viewers can of course sign up to become patrons of mine. Should they wish to at patreon.com slash John Oberg. And I'm sure Michael will provide these links. Um, and, uh, in the show notes and, if anybody wants to email me, john at johnoberg.org. Uh, I love it. Yeah, and you are correct. I'll uh, you go to mikeypod.com, look at the show notes for this episode. I'll put all those links there too. So if you didn't get get them written down or you don't remember, feel free to just swing by there. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thus concludes another episode of Mikey Pod. Thank you, John Oberg, for being our guest today. Ah. Uh, I loved that conversation. I hope you loved it as much as I did. If you want to hear more, go to patreon.com slash Michael Heron this Wednesday, and there's a bonus podcast episode with John. It's actually really fun. We decided to just shoot questions back and forth at each other, and we got into some really interesting stuff. So, yay. If you like the podcast, tell a friend. You can subscribe at all the places I mentioned at the top of the show. Um... I think that's it. Yeah, next week's guest is Hallie Morse. She's the founder and CEO of Broadway for Biden, which is a super cool thing. I'm talking to so many cool people lately. Hope you've been enjoying. Hope you liked this show. I'd love to hear from you. Subscribe on Patreon, all of that stuff. I love you. Goodbye.